Jewish Audio on Kabbat.org. This part is presented by Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, spiritual leader at Chabad Flamingo in Thornhill, Ontario. Chapter 4. We're going to a new Mishnah today. Mishnah number 3. Same teacher, though. I don't mean me. I mean the teacher of the Mishnah. <laughs> and actually, there's a similar idea, a similar theme that moves from Mishnah 2 into Mishnah 3. Anybody doesn't have a Siddur? It will be on page 282 in your Siddur. 282. Mishnah 2 is Ben Azai says, and then Mishnah 3 begins with the words he used to say. So I just want to refresh your memories, and for those who are joining us, and we're not here last week, I'm just going to bring you up to date with who Ben Azai was, and what Ben Azai's teaching up to this point has been, so that you appreciate where he's coming from today. Ben Azai was a person who was known for his incredible intensity. He was a very, very emotional Jew. A Jew who was deep, deep cleaving to Hashem. And he cleaved so deeply and he was so emotionally excited that eventually his neshama simply gave up. He couldn't live a normal life. He tried to get married. It didn't work. It was Rachmanus on the girl. He was never home. And, and ultimately he said he, he couldn't, he, he begged forgiveness and he said he had to get divorced because he couldn't be tethered. He couldn't, he couldn't live a normative life. And although the Torah tells us that marriage is a great mitzvah, and it says that somebody who doesn't get married and somebody who doesn't try to have children is called a shape of Dhamman, because it literally means person who spills blood, because he's supposed to bring people into the world. Every one of us has that mission, if at all possible, to bring new neshamas into the world. They said Benazah is different. There's always an anomaly, there's always an exception. Benazah was the exception to the rule. But despite the fact that Benazai had this great feeling of fervor and excitement, you might imagine that it was only for the big things. Benazai said, not so. But a person should be rough, a person should be excited, and a person should be exuberant, and a person should be full of joy. But it should be for a mitzvah kala, even for a small mitzvah. And a person should run, even from a small aveda. And we explained last week that the reason Benazai seems to equate big mitzvahs with small mitzvahs is because Ben-Azai gets down to the essence of a mitzvah. The essence of every mitzvah is that it's Hashem's will. So if it's Hashem's will, what difference does it make to you if Hashem asks for something big today, or Hashem asks for something small? It's all what He asks of you. So if Hashem asks of us to do something, we should always try to fulfill what Hashem wants. This is a general concept. We've talked about the idea of one mitzvah leading to another. So you may look at the mitzvah as a small mitzvah that you don't know what that mitzvah could bring to. That mitzvah can serve as a catalyst to a very important mitzvah. And we also said that ultimately the reward of a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. The reward of a mitzvah means connection, to be bonded to Hashem, and right now your opportunity to be connected to God, to be a spiritual person, is through a small mitzvah. But we always want to be connected. We always want to have that relationship. The Nazai, in the second Mishnah, is not talking about the performance of mitzvahs per se, and he's not talking about the pursuit of spirituality or running from an Aveda. Ben talks about attitude. How we should view everything, be it a thing, and I put that in quotation marks because it's a funny word, or be it a person. Ben says, He used to say, Never scorn any person. There's no such thing as an insignificant human being. Even though the person may seem very small to you and doesn't have much to offer you and is unimportant in your life. When something comes across, ah, that's not relevant to me. 
that makes no difference to me. It's not part of my life. It's not an issue that I have to contend with. Not something that I have to be concerned with. You should never say either of those things. She'eilach adam she'eilisha because there's no person whose time doesn't come. The There's nothing which doesn't have its appointed place. To simplify what Benazai is saying in a word, I think it's fair to say Benazai is telling us just as when it comes to mitzvahs. We can't look at the mitzvah for what it is in isolation of others. It's just a small mitzvah. But we have to see the mitzvah in the context of what it could lead to. What it really means. Because the mitzvah is good at this mitzvah. Because the reward of a mitzvah is connection. But now they says this applies not only to mitzvahs. But even to people. There are people that we would naturally think of are insignificant. Small people. There are things that are irrelevant to us. Not every detail to us do we find important. But now they says that's the wrong attitude. Why? Because he says nobody is really that small. Everybody has his place. Or as the world says, every dog has his day. So you can look at him as, as a canai of society, the very lowest level, but you never know. That person, at a particular moment, may be the individual that you'll need. So don't look at the person for who he is now. You never know what's going to be. Don't look at something and say, that's irrelevant. That's a detail that has nothing to do with me, because it may eventually creep up upon you. There's nothing that doesn't have a place. That's, the, that's a, a, the overview of this mission. Now we're going to go into the details and look at the words that Benazah uses and try to get the Torah take on this. What, 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 is, what is so, if you will, Jewish about this? So what is so uniquely Torah about this idea? It seems just to be mental effect. Be nice to everybody. Everything's important. Nothing in life is, it should be a write-off. So let's first look at what the Bartimur has to say. On a very literal level, he says, You shouldn't scorn any person. To say, What could that person do to hurt me? Why do I have to go out of my way for them? Why should I be concerned with them? Don't push something distant. Says the Bartanura, There's a concern, there's an issue. It's far away from me. It's not something that I have to deal with today. Says the Bartanura, don't say that, and it's far away, and therefore I don't have to worry about it, because ultimately it may come a lot closer and a lot more quickly than you expect. Don't be scornful to any person. Do you know what the word Adam means? Adam. What's the word Adam mean? You don't have to be scared. The worst thing you could say is the wrong thing. Adama is earth. Very good. Adama is earth. What is an Adam now? A person. A person. A person is an Adam. And as Carol pointed out, the idiom of Adam is Adama, which means the earth. Why does a person call the same word as the earth? Because we came from the earth. Because Adam wasn't born to a mother. There was no nine-month uh, pregnancy and then a birth. Adam was actually created from clay. And then Hashem created this form from the earth, from the soil. And then He breathed life into it. And it became a human being. And after 120 years, we had this idea of El Afar Tashuf. That the body goes back to what it used to be. It started out of soil and it returns to soil. 
But there's another reason that Adam, a person, is called that specific name. There's another word, it's spelled the same way as Adama. But in Hebrew, there's something called vowelization. Those little dots. And those little dots make a big difference. Like, for example, if you try to send an email, and you put the dot in the wrong place, the email will not go through. Right? You have to put the dot before the come, not in the middle. So the dots can make all the difference. Adama is earth. But if you vowelize the word Adama with a patach, you have a patach under the aleph and a patach under the dalad, and a segel, an S sound under the nem, what word does it spell? Adame. What does Adame mean? Have you heard the word of Dome? Similar. Adame, in freely translated in English, means in the image of. So a human being is called an Adam because he is Adame Le'elian. Because we're in the image of God. That means every single human being has an infantship that is divine. And each and every one of us is more or less the same. The fact that everybody around this table, all 30 or 35 of you, look a little bit different. But the reality is that we have a lot more in common than we have that we don't have in common. We're all human beings. Every human being has a need to be loved. Every human being has a need to be sheltered. Every human being has a need to eat. Every human being has a need to sleep. Every human being has a need to have healthy, functioning body, and so on and so forth. We all need the washroom, sooner or later. These are basic things. We're all the same. So human beings, with all of their quirks and hang-ups and the shigasin, are really a lot more similar than they are different. And all of us are created in the image of God. And that's why we're called Adam, because we're Adam there. So Benazai says, Al tehivaz l'chaladam. Never scorn a person. You know there are many, many words in Hebrew for person. Like ish, like gever, like enosh. Elsewhere the Mishnah says, when the Mishnah talks about respecting people, it says, Tolzim Ebriya, a creation. Why here does the Mishnah suddenly emphasize the word Adam, Al-Tihivaz Adam, so the answer to that question is that a person is unique because the person is created in the image of God. And because everybody is created in the image of God, so then it's very important for us to remember that every human being has to be respected. As they say, God doesn't make junk. So if God made a person, then it's, we should say, and don't scorn the person. Why should you not scorn the person? So the Mishnah says, Because there's no person who doesn't have his or her hour. Everybody has their hour. Everybody has their moment. That seems to be very, very basic, almost, almost self-serving. You never know when you're going to need them. But the Maharal of Prague has a very different take on it. The word Sha'a literally means time. An hour. What do you say when you come to a simcha? The people said two different things. Bishat and Mazel Tov. So when do you say Bishat Before. Before. Mazel Tov is after the fact. 
But we say when somebody's pregnant, the correct thing to say is, first of all, not to ask them, are you pregnant? If you're not sure. <laughs> Just put somebody in a very uncomfortable position because <laughs> if, if you're not sure, first of all, they might have put some weight on and they get really offended because uh, you think they're pregnant. And, and maybe they don't want to talk about it yet because a lot of people are concerned, I know, whatever it is. But at a certain point, it becomes kind of obvious if you're pregnant. It's very hard to hide a thing like that. So, if you see somebody who's pregnant, what's the nice thing to say? Vishatava means? In a good time. Ah, Mazal Tov means good luck. Right. I'm going to answer your question. I know exactly what your question is. The question is, if Mazal Tov means good luck, so what's wrong with wishing somebody good luck? You're having a baby? Good luck. What's wrong with that? But we don't do it. It's very like Tafopa. You never say Mazel Tov. You always say Bishatova. Why? Don't worry. If you didn't know about it, it didn't hurt you. First of all, there is bad luck, isn't there? Things don't always go well. Okay. Bishat means in a good time. A time. So I want to, I want to, the shot of means in a good time. In a good and auspicious time. The Ezra Tashem means with the help of God. So I want to explain all of that mazel to you. What's this luck business? We Jews don't, don't believe in luck, right? You're not supposed to have the rabbit's foot hanging from your uh, keychain. And it doesn't matter if you walk under the ladder. And if a black cat looks at you, just make sure it doesn't bite you. It's not, it's not the issues, right? Like we don't believe in this luck business. Madonna puts red strings. I don't know. <laughs> Some people do. That's true. Yeah. There is this thing of Ayin Hara. The right Bengal didn't use to cost $700 though. This is a new... <laughs> oh. So what does the word Mazel mean in its purest organic sense? Mazel. What is a Mazel? That's one word. That's more of a, a colloquialism. What does mazal really mean? A mazal means a constellation. That's what a mazal is. How do we refer to idolaters? What was the terminology in Hebrew for an ancient idolater? An idol worshiper, yes, in Hebrew. Oved, which means one who worships. Kochavim. Umazalot. Kochavim are stars. Mazalot are constellations. They used to worship stars and constellations. Why did they worship stars and constellations? So, in the generation of Enosh, his great grandson of Adam Arishan, now Adam, of course, he believed in God because he spoke to God. He didn't believe in God, he knew God. Chava knew God. And even Cain, the big murderer, he also knew God. How did he know God? Because God spoke to him. So, indeed, these people never believed in God, they knew God. It didn't help them very much, by the way. All the people who say, if I would know God, I would be a good person, it hasn't worked that way in the past. The people who knew God were not so good. Uh, Avraham Avinu knew God, but he didn't know God until he was 75. He believed in God until he was 75 without any sign. Other than a few little miracles that happened here and there, walking out of a fiery furnace. But Avraham Avinu was not directly communicated to until he hears the words from God, until God gives him a command. And that was, by the way, a very challenging one. 
It didn't make sense to Abraham Avinu. So, in the beginning, people knew God, and then God stopped speaking. He got very shy. So the grandchildren of Adam said, Hey, you knew God, you spoke to God. He doesn't talk to us anymore. How come? So on their own, they reasoned, maybe Adam was created by God, maybe in the beginning the first human beings were closer, loftier, higher, but people are getting smaller. So if people are getting smaller, and we're far away from God, we need to have a personal relationship. Can't relate to this invisible God that's so far away. So they wanted something tangible. So they started looking in the heavens. Where does anybody look for spirituality? What do you do? As the Dabranal says, Esa lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. So they looked and lifted their eyes up. What did they see? They saw the stars. They saw the sun. And they knew that if the, the sun warms them and the sun brings healing and the sun enables everything to grow, it's a great thing, the sun. Then they looked up in the, in the night and they saw. They saw the moon and they saw the stars. And by the way, according to our tradition, those zodiac signs used to once be visible when you looked up to the sky. You could actually see the hunter and the Capricorn. You actually could see it. It's, we believe that during the time of the Mazal, the Mabel, pardon me, the Great Flood, that all of the constellations stopped moving. And that's when the heavens got all kind of mixed up. So all the stars fell out of whack. And ever since then, we haven't been able to see those pictures clearly. Which actually is an incredible way to explain how anybody, virtually any society, has this idea of the Zodiac. And they all have the same pictures. It's in, it's in Hebrew tradition. It's in Greek tradition. It's in all the ancient traditions. So how do you end up with that? Even the ancient Indians, who had a very ancient society, going back to those biblical days, had similar figures drawn out from the Zodiac. So we believe that the answer is there was once a time when actually you didn't have to use your imagination to connect the dots and create a big dipper or the Canada hunter. I mean, it's ridiculous. I never understood as a kid. What kind of baloney is this? A star there and a star there. Somebody drew a picture and connected the dots. Why did everybody buy it? People weren't in contact with each other. There was no internet those days. How did they get this idea to the whole world in three days? Why did people draw their own pictures? So we believe that in the early days of creation, there was actually beautiful pictures in the heavens. And those pictures would change every month. So with the lunar cycle, there was also heavenly movements. And they would see these pictures. So they reasoned, hey, here's a picture we could see. It's, this is a divine force we could relate to. So that if God gave them the power to warm us, to give us light, and they learned they could tell the future from what was going on in the stars, so they said, why shouldn't we worship them? They'll be our intermediary. We'll worship them, and they in turn will convey our messages to God. That's how it started off. They believed that God was Eleka the Elekaya. He was the God of all gods. They said, if God gives such an important job to the sun, he must be a very important guy. So, am I going to get through to the king? To the prime minister? No. But I'll talk to my member of parliament. And my member of parliament will lobby on my behalf. So they built a temple. Somebody built a temple for the sun. Somebody else built a temple for the moon. And that's when competition started. So everybody was competing. Competition breeds excellence. So each one came up with his own ideas. And then the next generation, people started coming and telling people, oh, you know, actually, the son spoke to me yesterday. Ooh, he's a special person. The son actually spoke to him. We just see him. He got to hear from him. And they created this idea of prophecy. So, well, Adam spoke to God, didn't he? Yeah. All right, so the son spoke to me. So, okay, we can buy that. And a few generations later, they forgot the whole idea that there really is a God. And that the God empowered the gods. They just focused on the gods. They needed to create a concrete or tangible divine manifestation. Something they could see. Something they could, they could feel. Something they could relate to. And then Avraham Avinu comes along and introduces, no, no, you're all wrong. It's about monotheism. 
There's a God that we cannot see and a God that we can't hear and a God that we can't fathom. He has no body. He doesn't eat lunch. It's, it's a whole different story. And everybody said, it's crazy. And Avram Avinu fought against the whole world and he turned the tide. That's how Avram introduced monotheism. And Avram was very successful in his day. And he introduced, he reintroduced God back into the world. Avram Avinu's efforts culminated with the giving of the Torah when God actually came down to earth. Unfortunately, the sin of the golden calf was a major setback. And the Jewish people, though, were the keepers of this message, the keepers of this light, the keepers of this inspiration. At the time when the second base of was destroyed, there was a group of Jews who became renegades, and they created their own religion. Actually, there were several groups, at least half a dozen we have documented, maybe more. One of those groups, one of those groups had a charismatic young leader who died, and he had a follower who was a fantastic salesman, a marketer. He was the original Bill Gates. His name was Saul of Tarshish. And he created this monotheism that could actually sell to the masses. Because nobody liked monotheism. It was a ridiculous concept. It was too lofty, too far away. They liked gods. The Greeks liked gods. The Romans liked gods. It had to be tangible. You had to see it. He did a gewaltige thing. He was not much like Microsoft. He took all the things that existed and he put them all together. He said, here's a new system. God actually has a son. And that son, he's a person just like you. He died for you. He lived for you. Whatever it is. So this we can relate to. This sounds like the stuff we're used to. But that son, he's the son, he's a father. He's a Holy Ghost also. So, oh, Holy Ghost, the father. This is a God we can relate to. So he says, pray, pray, don't pray to God you can't see. You pray to the son because you could see him. Because he, he ate matzah like you and he drank wine like you. Oh, is this a God we can relate to? And that's how monotheism started to go backwards. Actually deviated away from the message of Ram Avinu. By the way, this is known as Christianity. <laughs> We don't like to hear this to Christians, but that's the truth. That's, that's, that's really the bare bones. It's the same mistake that was made at the beginning. When people went away from other magicians, they made the same mistake again. It's just so amazing how it evolved. It was a great product. It, 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 you know, they say the real marketer doesn't have a product in the market. He finds out what people want, so that's what I have for you. Whether he has it or not is irrelevant. You find out what they want, so I have your product for you. Saul was a great pollster. He knew, he knew where the pagans are coming from. They're not going to leave all the Greek idols and the Roman idols. This was ingrained. They need something they could talk to so they could feel. Monotheism wasn't successful. Judaism wasn't a religion that spread throughout the world. You know, the kind of Hanukkah, we almost disappeared. So he's a smart guy. He said, I'm just going to marry these ideas together. I'll bring them all together and everybody will be happy. And he was very successful. Not Yashka. Yashka never dreamed about this. This is all Paul's doing. Saul, it was Paul. Same guy. He was a brilliant marketer. He was a smart Jewish boy who created a religion that could sell. He was like the Kabbalah Center in those days. <laughs> hey, listen, you have to have vision, you know. You can't expect things to go overnight. You know, you invest in a business, you have to first lose. Constantine really, you know, put the stamp on There's no question that even the most brilliant marketer needs to have mazel. So they had, a, they had a lot of mazel. There's no question they had mazel. Which, by the way, is going to dove towards our subject of mazel. So getting back to our original subject. Ovid, kochavim, mazelot. An idolater is somebody who worships constellations. Originally. Later on, they forgot about the constellations. They just got they left with the stone. They were actually talking to, to little idols. But originally, it started off, we were looking up to the heavens, seeing the constellations and the stars. And that's what moved you. And it had some kind of rationale. It actually made sense. The truth is that from a Torah perspective, 
the stars and the constellations are more than just a conglomerate of energy. It's not just a physical light. But the stars actually have souls. And that those souls actually are angels. Each star represents an angel. And those angels are placed by Hashem as the custodians of time. How do we tell time? Okay, first thing is day and night. What's day and night? The heavenly bodies. Day is with the sun, and night is with the moon. How do we tell months? Where did the idea of months come from? From the lunar cycle. And before the Mabel, not only was there a lunar cycle, but actually there was a zodiac change, a constellation change in the stars. So every month has a specific mazel. Every month has a specific, what we call, divine spirit. A certain type of energy. That's why the horoscope business, it's not totally false. There is something to it. But you should know that it says, in mazel Yisrael. The Jewish people are not held under sway of the constellations. Jewish people, we believe, our neshamas are transcendent of the normal effects of time. So even though it could be a bad mazel, even though it could be in the constellations a different story is being told, we can overcome that. This is a special gift that only Am Yisrael has. Only the Jewish people are given this gift, and that's why we are compared to the moon, not compared to the sun. Other, other nations are compared to the sun, because the sun is the stars, it represents the strongest star, at least to us. Whereas the moon is in a constant state of flux, and the moon is always a recipient. It has none of its own light. And that's the idea of Ami Sol, is a recipient of Hashem's blessings, that we're not supposed to be self-reliant and dependent on our own abilities. This idea of the zodiac, how many zodiacs are there, by the way? Twelve. How many hours are there in a day? Twenty-four. If you divide day and night, you end up with twelve and twelve. How did they come up with that idea? How did they get the number twelve? Do you know of any society ever that had a 32-hour day? Everybody has this idea of 24 hours. Where'd that come from? Because on certain days in the spring and certain days in the autumn, when the day and night is at a perfect balance, if you divide it up day and night into equal increments, you end up with how many? Twelve. Twelve. When, when there's exact, there's, it is when they're, just when we're in that state of movement, going into winter, just when we're going into spring, night is exactly 12 hours, and day is exactly 12 hours. So it's, when it's perfect, there's a time when it's perfectly balanced. When it's perfectly balanced, if you had to cut up those increments of time, you would end up at 12 in the day, and 12 at night. So that's where the number 12 comes from. Do you think maybe there's a connection between the number 12 of the days and nights and the stars, the zodiac? There probably is, right? So Tater says that there is. And Tater says that just like there's a different mazel, a different energy, divine energy, within every month, there's also a different divine energy in every hour. So every hour of the day and of the night has a specific angel that's assigned to this hour. And that angel is referred to as, this angel is called, the generic name for these angels, and not angels, not malachim, but rather a mazel. A mazel. The mazel, by the way, time never repeats itself. So if we have to use the metaphor for time, we say time is circular, but the truth is time is circular like a spiral staircase. The circle, it's always, it's never in the same exact time. We don't look exactly the same a year later. We look exactly a year older. And, and that keeps going. And by the way, the reason that we age is because of the movement of the constellations. 
That's what makes time go. That's why we age. The movement of the heavenly bodies is actually what causes aging to happen. If time were to stand still, if the constellations would stand still, we wouldn't age anymore. We would just remain exactly as, as is. But time moves constantly, and because time is always moving, people are always changing. The word shana in Hebrew means year, and it's an idiom of the word shinui, which means change. Time is always changing. Time stands still for nobody. Except in the Mabu, time stood still for a year. So now, we have this idea of time never repeating itself. So if time never repeats itself, that means if a mazel or an angel is given a specific task, he's going to be in charge of this hour. What happens to that malach when the hour passes? Where does he go? We'll get to Mazikim later. They're related, they're cousins. <laughs> it's a different spiritual force. What happens to the mazel once the hour passes? It never gets another job because that's what powers the hour. So what powers the hour can't disappear because in, from God's vantage point, the time has not really passed. Imagine uh, a film. You have a film, have a strip of film in front of you. So you have frames. Each frame, just because a frame is here, doesn't mean that the frame is not here. They're all different frames. To us, we can only be in one frame at one time. When you're showing the movie, you can only show one frame at one time. So depending on which frame you're in, that's where you are right now. But imagine if we could be above that, which we can't, by the way. But Hashem is above that. Hashem is above time. What does it mean to be above time? It means past, present, and future are all the same in front of God. All the frames are laid out before God. So all those mazalot are actually remain in their place. Because time is something that remains forever. Now, if this is true, what should we hope for at any particular time? What should we hope for? That the mazel of this time is a good mazel. Because the mazel of this hour is when it's happening. So the most auspicious thing that can happen to any human being is something known as birth. The most auspicious thing that can happen to you. Not everybody makes it down the birthing canal. It's the greatest miracle. When you start to study the medical textbooks, you find out that there's a hole in the heart that seals and that the lungs which are collapsed open. The miracle of birth is astounding. The fact that any of us are, are even here is amazing to tell the tale. And tragically, a lot of people never made it. In the old days especially, birth wasn't a dangerous thing. We just read last week about Rachel Imeno who died in childbirth. That once upon a time was not such an uncommon occurrence. So when somebody's born, or when anything's happening in the world at any particular time, what's causing that to happen? What's the spiritual force in place? It has to be a spiritual force making something happen. So what's, what's the spiritual force in place? A mazel. So whenever something happens, the mazel is God's messenger to make that happen. That's the spiritual force that makes it happen. So when a baby's born, what do we say? Mazel tov. Why mazel tov? It's a blessing. It's not a good luck. Have lots of fun. Break a leg. No, no. Mazel tov is actually a prayer. It's a good wish. We say mazel tov. That the mazel in which a baby was born should be a good mazel. Some of us are mazel And some of us are not so mazel where does that come from? Because every one of us has a special protected angel. Now, the hour that you were born in, that angel is your special mazel. You may share this mazel with thousands of other people and thousands of other events around the world, but it's your mazel because that's what enabled it. To the time of your being born, everything that was going on in the world was under the tutelage of that mazel. Which means, by the way, that on your birthday, 
on your Hebrew birthday, your mazel, it says in the Zohar, is gover. Your mazel becomes very strong. So once a year, your mazel comes back to be with you. Because on your birthday, we mark your birth. So the mazel, the malach, who was there at that hour, all of a sudden he's there with you, assisting you. So the most propitious day to do something which is really challenging, you need a real bracha, what would be the best day to do something like that? On your birthday. Which is why the Rebbe said that he, it would be a good idea for people to make a fabrengen. A gathering of people getting together for the birthday. Why? Because strength is in numbers. So if you have a strong mazel and you gather people together, you're going to have the, a wonderful opportunity to influence people. Not only can you influence them, but you have an opportunity also to make a resolution and have the kayach to follow through. So a birthday should be a day that we mark with something sacred, something special. It's your special day. You're a special mazel. The day that you're a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah, what will people come to you invariably and wish you? Mazel tov. Now you understand, when somebody is pregnant, what do we say? Bisha tova. It should be in a good time. And then once the baby is born, what do we say? Mazel tov. Now you get it, huh? Amazing. Mazel tov. Yes. That's a very good question. I really can't answer the question appropriately on the fly. They say every, every situation has to be evaluated, but that's the reason why we're not, we don't rush to C-sections. And if there's a medical need for it, so then we only do it if it's needed. It's not an elective thing. Oh, what the heck is a C-section? No, we don't want to disturb these things. When the baby knows when to come, when Hashem sends the baby in the world, that's the time. Now, in the event that it just worked out, divine providence, if there's a woman that can't give birth normally, and this is exactly the hour when the emergency is available, is, happens, and there's a doctor available, so on and so forth, that's the model that's helping that happen. Not every baby makes to a C-section. So that's also a model, though. Not only the birthing canal, a C-section maybe even is a, a bigger miracle. Excellent question. What do you say? Sure, you should say Mazel Tov. Why? Because the engagement is a very meaningful thing. This is the hour they chose to get engaged. That means whatever is going on in this world is connected to that Mazel. That's another Mazel Tov. Yes, they could. That's where we sign a document. That's where we sign a term. But still, we hope when people get engaged, they make a commitment to each other. It's a verbal commitment. We still wish Mazel Tov. We break a plate, we should, this is, this is not indestructible, just like a plate can't be put together again, this commitment shouldn't be broken. Right? It should be irrevocable. It's not, we don't say, get engaged, and maybe we're going to get married, I'm not really sure, I don't know. Okay. On the day, that's true, it's true what you're saying, we don't want to sign. We don't sign a paper. Why? Because if something goes wrong, we don't want to have an issue of later having to sign, unsign things. Correct. Okay? No, 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 very good. But the point is that that's also a muscle to think. So anytime we do something, somebody gets a new job, you can tell the Mazel Tov. You look, you look, you look. You never look for a job. Look, look, look. And it doesn't work. And one day, boom, you get the call, you got the job, Mazel Tov. Why? At this point, today, your, your blessing became concrete. Now. So we wish you Mazel Tov. So the Maral of Prague says this amazing thing now. Now with everything that I told you, which this actually, what I told you was a uh, sikha that I remember hearing from the Rebbe in 1988, after the Rebbe's wife passed on, so on, the, on her birthday, which was a few weeks later, on the 25th day of Adar, the Rebbe came down right after davening, and he said he spoke a special sikha, and he asked them, in his wife's merit, he asked people to create a birthday campaign. People should be aware of their birthdays, and people should do special things on their birthday in her merit. That was a special campaign that Rebbe launched 
for his wife. So the Rebbe explained, I think it was a few days later, one evening, he explained this whole idea of mazel. Very patiently, very slowly, explained this whole idea of each hour has a specific mazel. Just parenthetically, there's an interesting halacha in the Shulchan Aruch that says that if you're born in a specific hour, when the mazel is called maidim, which is a red mazel, and I'm not sure what the English or Greek counterpart would be. I don't know. I'm not sure. But in that particular mazel, it says that there's a propensity for spilling of blood. So if you're born in that particular hour, it says, you should try to spill blood in a healthy way. How could you spill blood in a healthy way? A doctor. What else could you do to spill blood in a healthy way? A mohel. A sheikh. So it says a person born in that hour should make an effort to become a doctor, a mohel, or a shochet, so that he or she is going to spill blood in a healthy way, in a good way. Because there's a propensity. It doesn't mean you're going to spill blood, but there's a propensity there. Because of this, by the way, certain communities are careful not to drink wine, especially red wine, in the, on Friday evening between the 6th and the 7th hour. Because the 6th and the 7th hour happen to be on Friday night the mazel of Maidan. So we don't want to drink since the, in the scripture red wine is compared to blood. And since when you drink wine it makes your blood rush forward. So there are those who are careful not to drink red wine and some people don't drink any wine during that hour. Just a little, I'm not saying you have to do this but this is a Kabbalistic concept that some people adhere to. Yes? Did they know the answer? No. Oh, so she might be stumping me now. You have to do this in front of everybody? <laughs> okay. Okay. That's the whole question? Phew! Okay. <laughs> Saved by the bell. A kamea is something that it would be best translated in English as an amulet. And it's something that has a protective nature about it that we hope will watch over a baby. Now, in England, maybe they had a particular custom where they used to use the Star of David because it has a Jewish symbol. Although that is not a typical Kamea. Here's something interesting. And this is important for you to know in case anybody here has a baby or you know somebody's having a baby. There is something called the Shir Hamalis, which is one of the Psalms written in the Book of Tillam. And the Shir Hamalis traditionally used to be written in a special way and be surrounded with the names of angels. And they used to make sure that when a baby was born that there should be a Shir Hamalis right there in the birthing room to serve as a Kamea, as an amulet for the baby. And actually this is another ancient custom that people forgot when they came to North America. And the Rebbe talked about it. And very often actually. He made a big, big tumult about it in the 80s. And he said that uh, we should try to make sure that every single Jewish baby that's born should have this Kamea there. Because it's helpful to the Neshama. So in many hospitals, nobody even knows. There was Lubavitcher ladies who snuck in Shir and behind the, the pictures on the wall. <laughs> so there should be a Shir And what we do is, whenever we see a woman that's pregnant, we give them a Shir a little amulet to clip on, to keep with them under the pillow. It looks like a piece of paper. O- oftentimes, oftentimes now it's lam- laminated. It's a prayer, like a prayer. And what you do is you place it under the pillow when a woman's giving birth. And then later, as soon as the baby is born, we put a little Sharmalas in the basinat. That's the Kamea. I guess. So there was the idea that a Jewish baby should be born and surrounded by holy symbols. 
Not Chassashon that we worship the symbol. That's a different religion. I wish I could feel great about it, but honestly, it's not such a big piece of knowledge. Most people can, I know can answer the question. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Not necessarily. So if you're born on July 4th, I know I'm American. <laughs> if you're born on July 4th and it happens to be, let's say, the 12th day of Tammuz, the 12th day of Tammuz is your special day, not July 4th. That's why, that's why people who are inspired by Torah mitzvahs will not honor their Goyusha birthday, but the emphasis here clearly is on your Jewish birthday. No, because that hour when you were born, that mazel, is yours for the whole 24 hours. How do you know your hour? There is a way. There is a way to figure it out. One sec. One sec. One sec. How could you figure what out? The hour you were born. The hour you were born. You probably your parents have a record of the hour you were born. It's not. It's not imperative to figure out the hour you were born. What's important to know is the day. And the day we have a calendar. We can look back. I can look on my little palm pilot. I can tell you any day. If you're 100 years old, or what your birthday will be in 100 years, I can tell you exactly what the Hebrew day it was. It's not important which hour. The only thing that is important is to know what it was before sundown or after sundown. That makes a difference. The same thing, by the way, is with the yard site. Why, why is the yard site special? Because what happened on their first yard site, the neshama went up. The neshama lifted. It ascended to the heavens. So every year, the same thing happens again. Which means that the mazel that caused the neshama to ascend is back at the force again. So what does it cause the neshama to do again? To rise higher. That's why we say in Yiddish, and listen carefully, I'm sure you heard this before, the neshama should have an aliyah. And that's why some people have a custom to get an aliyah on the Shabbat before. Because it creates aliyahs, create elevations. So we do things to create elevations for the neshama. That's why Hebrew dates are very important. Anniversaries are important. So every single year when we mark Pesach, we're not marking something that once happened. The same spiritual force that broke open the shackles of Egypt once upon a time, the same spiritual force is doing the same thing today. That's why it's called Zman Chedoseinu. It's time of spiritual freedom. And that's why when the Torah is given on Shavuot, the anniversary of the Torah being given, Hashem is giving us the Torah all over again. And that's why in Rosh Hashanah, when we mark the creation of humanity, it's as if Hashem is recreating the world or renewing the lease on the world all over again. And on Yom Kippur, when we mark the day that Hashem forgave us the first time, every single year on that anniversary, what does He do again? He forgives us again. And so on and so forth. So on Hanukkah, when the Jewish people celebrated the miracle, the recapturing of the temple, and all the spiritual symbolism that comes with Hanukkah, every year on Hanukkah, what happens? That same force is in the air. So we can accomplish similar things. So therefore, the Maharal of Prague says... You're scorning a person. You say, ah, it's just a person. They're a little person. They're a nobody. They can't do anything to me. They have no power. They have no fame. They have no money. They have no connections. So he says, the Mishnah says, There's no person that doesn't have an hour. What does an hour mean? What's the alter ego of the word hour? Mazel. So there's nobody doesn't have a mazel. And that's the Torah per take. Why? Because who says every dog has his day? Who says? Who says every person is going to be important? Maybe some people are never going to be important. Maybe some people will never have anything to offer. The Mahal says it can't be. Because everybody's got a mazel. If everybody has a mazel, then that mazel is a powerful thing. So everybody has a certain power that's unique to them. And therefore, 
the Torah perspective is, they have to be able to accomplish something meaningful. The person who thinks they can't accomplish anything great is making a big mistake. It's not just you. It's your guardian angel. It's your malach. And then taking it a step further, there is nothing that doesn't have a place. So the Rebbe's father explains this in a very beautiful way. He says this is all, once again, a spiritual concept. Just like you understand that every person has a mazel, the Rebbe's father says every single detail of this world has a spiritual alter ego, has a spiritual force that enables it to exist. So everything has a mokayim, Literally, we this a place here. Just like everything has a time, and everything has a place. You have heard that expression, right? There's a time and a place for everything. That's actually from the Bible. Everything has a time and a place. And that's to be taken literally. Everything has a time and a place. But everything in the Torah also means more than just literally. So what's the deeper meaning of everything has a time and a place? A time is everything has a mazel, a spiritual force. And a place means that everything has a special place in the divine plan. Which means that in the spiritual symmetry, in the spiritual worlds that mirror our world, or I should say the other way around, our world mirrors the spiritual worlds, everything is unique and special. Otherwise it wouldn't be created. It's not just a physical thing. Everything in this earth represents something in the heavens. Some, some spiritual world. As the Gemara says, that every blade of grass has a mazel. Quote, that's waxen, that hits him, and tells him grow. Listen to waxen. You want a horse to go, you give him a zest, he goes. It's an expression. Everybody gets encouragement. Right? So to get a little zest is to get a little bit of encouragement. There's a spiritual something that, that gives vibrance, that gives life. And that thing, therefore, can't be unimportant. Because from a non-Torah perspective, why can't there be certain things that are irrelevant? Why can't there be certain things that are not important, that have no place? It has no place. So if we look at this world as unique only to the physical world, you're right. So there's, there's waste. There's waste everywhere. Everything in this world creates waste. So there's waste. But that's because this world is an imperfect place. The spiritual worlds are all perfect. So if the spiritual worlds are perfect, God doesn't create any waste. Everything that there is, is very important. And it has a place. If it has a place, if Hashem made it a special place in the heavens, a special place in what the Kabbalists call Seder HaShashalus, the order of the divine evolution, which means the way that God allowed the world to evolve. So each and every single detail of this world has a special spiritual force. How could you say it's irrelevant then? How could you say it's not important? So when a Jew starts to look at creation that way, when you start to think twice, you look at first of all every person's image of God. He's got a muzzle. It's not just him. Who knows what that person has the ability, the power to unlock? Who knows? There's only one way to find out. Get the person to do it. Connect to that person. So every person has an incredible koyach. How could you be fuzz? How could you score on that person? You think details are irrelevant? It's a non-Jewish way to look at the world. The Jewish way to look at the world is that everything's a creation of Hashem. And because it's a creation of Hashem, it has to have special powers. It has to have abilities. And that's why you have to treat everything with respect. Nothing can be taken lightly. Nothing can be looked at in a flippant manner. And Benazi is telling us, not only do you look at a mitzvah like that, that there's no such thing as a small mitzvah, but Benazi's perspective extends even to creation. Even to all kinds of people. Take everything seriously. When you take it seriously, you respect it. What does it mean to disrespect? 
disregard. It's not important. It's, it's not something that I have to care about. And Azai says, how could you say that? If Hashem puts you in a particular place, in a particular spot, you have the ability to do something that has to be important. Otherwise, Hashem wouldn't put you there. So next time you're stuck in traffic, don't say, why is this happening to me? I curse you. I can't believe this is going on. Hashem puts you there. I don't know the reason. You don't know the reason. But behave accordingly. Who knows? You get stuck somewhere in a plane, you're laid over somewhere. Who knows who you're going to meet? And sometimes we have the mazel, the good fortune, that we see things happen. That's what we call Hashbuch HaPratis, Divine Providence. People look back and say, you know, it's mamish, unbelievable, amazing. Happened to be here, and they happen to see that person, and they happen to know somebody, and, they, and their whole big thing. Yet sometimes Hashem is kind to us, and He lifts the curtain a little bit. A lot of times it doesn't happen. A lot of times we're like in the dark. It's frustrating to be in the dark. You know, if somebody tells a story, when they got the curtain lift, a glimpse behind the curtain, it's very inspiring and exciting. The point, of course, we have to remember is that's not a story about somebody. That's you and I. It's a story of our life. And therefore, we have to be serious and considerate about everything that crosses our paths. And if we do that, then just as Benazai was able to achieve a closeness to Hashem and able to make the most of every moment that he lived, and he lived a very short life, but he continues to be celebrated as a great teacher of Torah, each and every one of us could fulfill his or her potential and make a real difference in the world. And hopefully, if we keep doing our little bit, the Mashiach will come and bring about the big change. Amen.